Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of March 22nd, 2021. Pretty exciting episode for us at Sox Machine as for the first time we will have a show available both in our normal podcast feed but also on our YouTube channel. The difference between the two is obviously we'll have more visuals that pair with our analysis about the Chicago White Sox. So if you enjoy the show on your podcast listening routine, don't worry, nothing is changing for you. But if you are someone that likes to watch shows on YouTube, well now you can watch the Sox Machine podcast. With that news aside, this episode will focus quite a bit on the 2021 preview of the Chicago White Sox outfield. It's a unit that has a lot of potential with Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, an intriguing platoon in right field with Adam Eaton and Adam Engel. But injuries are always a factor, and none of the four outfielders are strangers to the injured list. How will this unit fare in 2021? We'll break it down later in the show. But first, we recap the week that was for the Chicago White Sox spring training, and it's a good time to introduce the co-host of the show. He's the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. Welcome as far as to the video format. Uh, For those that are listening to the podcast version, you didn't get a chance for me to bring Jim in. It's not quite like... uh, Chris Collinsworth at NBC Sports Chicago, where you literally slide Saddle in. in. Uh, unfortunately, we're not <laughs> saddling. Uh, but yeah, very exciting. Hello. And uh, it's nice to see you. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> uh, I think we should take this opportunity to just make a lot of visual jokes talk about me doing this and this. <laughs> Note to the listener I am doing nothing. <laughs> and uh, for the listener, uh, if you're wondering, does Josh have any Dr. Pepper? You know that I always have a bottle of Dr. Pepper next to me. So again, nothing much has changed except now we have a video format of the podcast. So very exciting times. I'm in transition. You're probably thinking this is the worst background, Josh, to have a YouTube show. Uh, I apologize. I'm in the middle of moving. Uh, so in a couple of weeks, I'll be in our new studio. I should make that my uh, new background more... after you move. <laughs> Just the bed right here. <laughs> I got I got the uh, Carson Fulmer Birmingham Bear and Bobblehead. Nice. It's like, uh, yeah, Josh is in his new podcast studio, and I'm in Josh's old bedroom. 
<laughs> oh man oh man all right so yeah poking fun in where we are as far as uh recording the video side of things uh and this is the you know when you're doing podcasts nobody can see this so it doesn't really matter but i promise you in a couple of weeks things will be better uh, as far as visually behind me uh once i am done moving which of course is a great idea to always move right before opening day but we are getting closer to opening day jim for the chicago white Sox. And with spring training performances, we'll, we'll discuss Adam Engel's strained hamstring injury. That is pretty significant news for, for this past week, especially for the White Sox. We'll discuss that during the outfielders preview. But there are two performances during camp that's catching a lot of eyes from fans and media. And that's starting pitcher Carlos Rodon and catcher Zach Collins. And for Rodon, again, I had very low expectations of him going to 2021, especially what happened in Cleveland last year, Jim, and what obviously happened in Oakland. But he's throwing very well in camp. He's, you know, nine innings pitched, four hits allowed, zero runs, zero walks, and he struck out 10. That's phenomenal. The, I think the big question when it comes to Carlos Rodon is – does this give you confidence that you can the White Sox would be able to count on Carlos Rodon in the 21 regular season? It gives me a little bit more confidence. I think with Rodon, there are a few reasons for apprehension. One is the injury history, which is obvious, and you know, the fact that whether he can even be available at all has always been a major question. So that has never, or you know, that has not yet been solved. That may never be solved, and you may kind of hold your breath every time the White Sox don't have an obvious sixth starter candidate behind him. I think the other concern I had was that he would have to rely too much on his slider, that he would be somebody had to pitch backwards most of the time, that his fastball velocity while returning to 93 to 95 was just, he was sacrificing life for velocity and, and, and any kind of semblance of command, even if he hasn't been really a pitcher who is featured much in the way of command. I thought he'd have to pitch, you know, maybe 30, 35% sliders get by, and I didn't know if he had control of that pitch enough to make mm -hmm. it a setup pitch as well as a put-away pitch. So the fact that he's bullying hitters with this fastball right now, that he's just kind of pumping it uh, by hitters and throwing it you know, letter high, getting it past him, getting you know, weak foul balls early in the count, able to get swings and misses later in the count. That's something I didn't necessarily see from him uh, being a regular feature. So if he can keep that going, I think that basically changes my mind uh, whether he can be an effective five-inning pitcher. And then from that point, it's more about whether he can be a five-inning pitcher for, you know, five starts in a row, you know, just which right. has always been a challenge for him for the last few years now. Yeah, it's great to see this type of performance. But again, it is spring training. We have seen White Sox pitchers perform well in Glendale, and then they go into the regular season, and all of a sudden they're totally different, right? Uh, we saw that last year with Dylan Cease coming out of spring training 2.0, uh, where he struck out nine batters in an inter-squad you know, inter scrimmage, and everything looks great. The fastball looks great. The slider's on point. First appearance against Cleveland, not good. But for Carlos Rodon, his first appearance, if he is the number five starting pitcher, Jim, appears to be against Seattle, which would be the second series of the 2021 season. And it's not like Seattle is going to be a world beater this year. Uh, I think a lot of projections have him either finishing last or fourth in the American League West. So that would be a good test for Carlos Rodon just to see the adjustments that he's been making with Ethan Katz. Uh, but I think you do bring up a good point, Jim, as far as in the confidence level and, and maybe as far as our expectations. Uh, before he even pitched at all at spring training, I think our thinking was, hey, if he can go three innings, then you could bring in maybe Michael Kopech for a couple innings and then Garrett Crochet and then go through whoever is available in the bullpen to try to win these games in the fifth starter spot. But it sounds like you have some confidence that maybe he could be counted on for five plus innings. Yeah, I, I think in this current form, my concern from here would be whether he can maintain this current form for right. uh, an extended period of time. But the fastball command, you know, it looks like it has more life, at least, you know, that, that's something that's, you know, with, with spring training camera angles and lack of pitch data, it's really hard to tell. You're more or less going off eye test. But what hitter swings are saying is either one, you know, it's spring training and hitters are just behind, not really picking them up that well. And they will, when the regular season rolls around, they get more reps under them or that it's just a better pitch than it was last year, which could very well be possible. 
Yeah, if he's going to be a five-inning guy, you're just asking him to go through the lineup twice. Yeah. If he's effective <laughs> to go through the lineup twice. I don't know if he's in a spot right now or if the White Sox have the confidence of Carlos Rodon to go through a lineup three times like they're going to be asking Giolito, Keuchel, and Lance Lynn, and I think in some ways maybe Dylan Cease. But Carlos Rodon's throwing really well. And you can't argue the results. So hopefully that continues. And maybe he even surprises myself and other White Sox fans to start the 2021 season. But let's go over to Zach Collins. In 15 games, Zach Collins is hitting 333 with a 444 on base percentage. And he's slugging 467. Zach Collins has six walks to three strikeouts. You wrote a column about this on SoxMachine.com, Jim, that we've never seen this type of performance from Zach Collins, especially on the strikeout front. Jim, is Collins hitting himself onto the opening day 26-man roster? It seems like it just based on the way playing time is breaking down. I think with somebody or or a position like a catcher where there's a lot that – it relies on a catcher working well with pitchers getting to know what they throw, uh, being able to just game plan for you know multiple trips to the lineup that you might see Jonathan Lucroy being more prominently involved or your mean Mercedes, you know, getting more reps if it were truly a battle that Collins is caught so often, even with Yasmani Grandal being out and so many innings being available, that 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 Collins has this kind of lead. It, it seems like it's hard to find a reason to keep him off. You know, he's he's not mm-hmm. striking out. Like if you were hitting you know, if he had an OPS of a thousand or striking out 25% of the time, you would, it'd be easy to chalk it up as a spring mirage. And it's still, you know, very well may be, but when he's only striking out what, three times in nearly 40 plate appearances, which he's never done before. Like there's always been a clump of strikeouts just around the corner. Whenever it seems like he's starting to put the bat on the ball more, he has like a, a silver to platinum sombrero to put him right back on his old track where he was. I think that should be rewarded. And and the other thing too, is that, you know, we're hearing positive impressions about his working with, uh, with pitchers. And that's something where, you know, listening to Tony La Russa, watching him on zoom calls, he's not really saying anything bad about anybody. So I, I don't think you can take the absence of criticism as uh, the fact that he's doing things well, but the, the, the idea that Jerry Naren is there, you know, a, a catching guru who's had results for multiple catchers at multiple stops along the way, I think that's at least enough for me right now to think something may be different on that front too. So at least, the, you know, Collins may not be demonstrably different. You know, maybe we're, we're talking about him in May or something like that. He might be the same old Zach Collins, but at least there are a couple of yeah. things that are different enough to where it's just, you're not crossing your fingers. There might actually be something different here. So with this, let's say this type of reality that Zach Collins does make the 26 man roster. You're expecting the Chicago White Sox to carry three catchers and Yasmani Grandal, Jonathan Lucroy and Zach Collins. Uh, I think with the way Collins is playing now, I think the Lucroy thing comes down to whether Andrew Vaughn is on the opening day roster. If he's the DH, I really don't see a reason why uh, there would be a reason for three catchers. Like you really only have three catchers on the roster. If Yasmani Grandal needs to DH uh, when he's not catching, like if, if they're hitting behind uh, you know, Jose Abreu at first base slash DH is so sketchy that uh, you really need all the good bats you can get in the lineup. And I, I think if Andrew Vaughn's opening day, I think you carry him on the opening day roster to hit every day as a DH first mm-hmm. baseman rotating in and out. So I wouldn't see the utility there for uh, a third catcher, especially like, you know, and, and we'll be talking about this. I imagine that with uh, Adam Engel being uh, sidelined for two weeks because of a hamstring strain, that's you don't have uh, Larry Garcia's, uh, you know, I, I think his Swiss army knife skills will be more limited by what is needed right now. Well, let's go into our outfield preview and let's Segway. address that question. Very nicely done. Uh, and as far as it's, 2021 Chicago White Sox outfield preview. Like I mentioned in the intro of the show, this unit has great potential. Luis Robert has a skill set to be a six plus war player in 2021. He can win another gold glove and he can garner some MVP votes for his overall skill. Aloy Jimenez could hit 40 plus home runs for the White Sox this season and be one of the most dangerous hitters in all of baseball. But again, this unit is no stranger to the injury list, whether it's Jimenez hurting himself, trying to play defensive left field. Luis Robert has a bad slide. Adam Eaton has gone onto the injured list with either nagging or very serious injuries. 
And now what has happened with Adam Engel? And that's where we're going to start our preview is Adam Engel has a strained hamstring. And it sounds like that he will start the season on the injured list due to that strained hammy. And Jim, you know, for Adam Engel, how does Adam Engel's injury impact the Chicago White Sox as they quickly approach opening day? Theoretically, it might not affect them all that much because, you know, thankfully, Larry Garcia is a better hitter as a right-handed hitter. So if you're looking for somebody to compliment Adam Eaton as a, uh, you know, in a platoon, then, you know, Garcia, Eaton, Garcia against lefties, Eaton against righties, that's basically, you're not losing all that much. I think where Angle provides more confidence is playing center field if he's needed to play there. Um, mm-hmm. And also a bit more power he's shown, which is nice to say about Engel. I mean, he's really come a long way when we were talking about him, you know, throughout the course of his career and, and, and treating him as a defensive specialist who really shouldn't be hitting at all. You know, maybe a def- late game replacement, somebody you don't want to see. And now at least he's made himself really useful against left-handed bats. And to the point where it's just enjoyable to see him come to the plate, which uh, I can't imagine <laughs> You, know, you maybe weren't saying 20, that a couple of years ago. Yeah, like 2018 me would not uh, believe <laughs> 2020 me, 2021 me saying that. So that's really cool. Uh, so I think it's just, uh, you know, it's weird to say, but it's more of a blow of just like enjoying, you know, not getting to enjoy seeing Adam Engel against lefties, which is fun. Um, hopefully um, it's it's not a uh, nagging issue and, and, and persists into the regular season because I think that's when, you can get in trouble. We've seen that at other positions with Garcia playing center. Um, he's really a nice player to have. Garcia is a nice player to have, like when he uh, only has to play like a week or two at a time and then just kind of uh, fills into different positions here and there. But if he's counted on to carry a position, that's where it gets dicey. Well, I think that Zip's projection is is more reflective of an Adam Angle who has to play every day, no matter the pitcher, uh, a manager who's not playing him to his strengths, but is forced to play him against uh, uh any arm that's uh, being thrown against the White Sox that day. And when you look at his split splits from last year, um, his plate discipline against righties was really, you know, just he struggled in that department against righties. He struck out 16 times against uh, two walks over 58 plate appearances. That's a 28% strikeout rate. So when you see that zips projection of a 28.3% strikeout rate, you think, yeah, that's, that's what he is when he's forced to play um, you know, in a way that's just, um, exposing him. But against lefties, he only, only struck out three times in, in 36 plate appearances. So uh, if he's able to, you know, bring up the number of plate appearances against lefties to where that takes, you know, 50% or more of his plate appearances, then I think you're somewhere closer to that 2020 season. Uh, and it really won't resemble a zips. It might be somewhere in between. Then I think at that point, you know, assuming there is somebody healthy there to protect him against facing too many righties, the other question would be whether he's, you know, we've talked about this uh, with a few different players, whether his season was reflective of some kind of weird, um, you know, I, I guess, level of competition that was in the central divisions and, and both the AL Central and NL Central that were maybe not reflective of the quality of league at the whole. And maybe he uniquely benefited from that somehow. But, it, you know, it also just could be 60 games and and. Uh, as we talked about Jose Abreu uh, last time having a cold 20 and a really hot 40 and riding that to the MVP, like the 60 game sample while a lot of games for, it's not quite a small sample, but for a full season, it is. As far as the 36, right? Yeah. Yes. The 36 games. Got it. Yeah. Again, he liked to beat up on the Kansas city Royals, which is great. And mm-hmm. he'll still get that opportunity in the 2021 season. We'll see how the rest of the league adjusts to adam engel but again i think he'll exceed those projections those projections look very much like 2018 adam engel so again that's the part of the projections that i look at for the chicago white Sox and say i'm confident that adam engel will exceed so as far as those projections let's go with the guy let's talk about the guy he's going to be platooning with in right field and that is adam eaton and the question that i have before we get into the 2021 projections for adam eaton Will we see a dead cat bounce from Adam Eaton in 2021? Uh, because his 2020 performance, Jim, was I, – I have no other way to explain it than but bad. I mean, he was below zero war. He had a negative 0.5 war with the Washington Nationals last year. Uh, his worst offensive season in his career – uh, but evidently with the contract, the Chicago White Sox signed Adamine, uh, Rick Hahn's strategy of addressing right field 
Han is hopeful that there's a bounce back in Adam Eaton's production. How confident are you in a dead cat bounce from Adam Eaton in 2021? I would say not very, just because the White Sox have struggled with this particular kind of player, not Eaton himself, but just somebody who, um, you know, right field, DH, we've talked about it for years. Rick Hahn has talked about it for years. He's admitted to talking about it for years that somebody like, uh, you know, Eaton, you know, Theoretically, he should be an improvement over Nomar Mazzara. Nomar Mazzara theoretically should have been improvement over Daniel Palka and so on and so forth. Just when you have the bar that low, I, I think it makes it easy to set ambitions low. And then, you know, just nothing improves in a detectable manner. And you're just left with just a big pile of meh at best. I think with Eaton, I think the, the perhaps encouraging thing uh, is that, he wasn't terrible against righties. Like a lot of his awful performance last year, talking about small samples and like, you know, we talked about Adam Engel being great against uh, lefties. You know, Eaton was terrible against lefties. He went four for 39 with uh, eight strikeouts. Uh, that's a 366 OPS, 76, 768 OPS against righties. Even then, like the righties was a little bit iffy, but uh, at least that's like a, a major league line. Somebody don't mind uh, hitting maybe, Eighth, ninth, if you're feeling good about a matchup, you can bet him second once in a while. And I think Tony LaRusso will, and I think a lot of people will be driven nuts by that. But if he's facing like, you know, a righty who's not overpowering, I can see that working out. So there are reasons to play him if he has that line, especially if he's a slow starter, which he has been throughout his career. And he pointed to that saying that uh, he only had a really a start of a season. Uh, that, that might be one reason to believe in it too. I just... He seems like a player to me, like just watching him play, talking about how he's had to uh, adjust for aging that, you know, when he's a high effort guy who um, is somebody who's, a, you know, basically his game is based on, you know, high motor um, defense and right field, which has dropped off and just, um, you know, trying to get a bunch of hits the way he can just busting it out of the box any kind of lost step, I think, is going to hurt him more than most. And I think he's he might have already lost a step and might be hard for him to sustain. Regain If he regains a step, I think it might be hard for him to sustain it over a full year. So I'm not optimistic about him, and I think they could be looking for another upgrade at the deadline. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, that would be pretty soon, and I think that would frustrate a lot, a lot of people, especially White Sox fans and even media when we were pretty critical of the signing right away. And looking at the 2021 projections for Adamine, maybe this does qualify as a dead cat bounce from his 2020 season. But in 2021, Zips is projecting 126 games played for Adamine. I think that could be pretty close with a slash line of 262 for his batting average, his on-base percentage being 339 and slugging 401 giving him a weighted runs creative plus of 99, so 1% below league average, so close to league average hitter with a 1.6 war for the 2021 Chicago White Sox. Uh, obviously, I would prefer that the White Sox made a more significant addition in right field moving forward uh, rather th than these uh, one-year deals hoping for the best, and I think that is the White Sox strategy with right field. Uh, heading into the 2021 season, Jim, with a Adam Engel and Adam in platoon. And again, already Engel is going to possibly start the season on the injured list because of a strain hamstring. And I did put this question out there for our Twitter followers, one of our first show polls. And the question, Jim, is who will make the most starts in right field for the 2021 Chicago White Sox? And uh, the guys that I listed were Adam Eaton, Adam Engel, Billy Hamilton, and Nick Williams. Ugh. I think it's going to be Eaton. Yeah, at thirty. so far 67% of the people that have voted in that poll agree with you that it will be Adam Eaton making the most starts in right field. But let me go back to the question with Adam Eaton. We're expecting mm -hmm. a dead cat balance. Let's say he does play into those 2021 season projections, Jim. Is that a big enough bounce in his production that would satisfy you for the White Sox right field? I think so. Just based on those numbers and, and putting it together, the one point, uh, a little bit below two wins, but for a guy who only plays 126 games, that's 
that's decent. You know, that's, I think, what we wanted to see from, like, that's kind of what Tampa got out of Avi Garcia, uh, you know, when with the White Sox, when they get uh, two wins out of Garcia when he plays 150 games versus a Garcia who gets, like, close to two wins at 110 games, and, and that's because they spare him against uh, pitchers who might exploit him. You know, that's a way to make him useful. And if he has an OBP around 340, that would be great. Uh, that's something they can use. Really, they need average or better on base guys. They have a lot of power. We've seen that before. We've talked about for mm-hmm. a couple of years now that they have power. Just more of a matter of guys who can, uh, you know, set the table, keep the lineup going, work some extra pitches, make a pitcher face an extra batter in an inning. That's what they've been lacking. Uh, basically, Yasmani Grandal has to go a long way. And Andrew Vaughn, you know, when he comes up, a lot will be demanded of them in order to keep pitchers honest, make them work hard, not have like seven pitch innings uh, every once in a while. So I, I think if Eaton provides a 340 OBP the way he does when he's in the box, I think that's useful for this particular team. And I think that more or less verifies um, what Rick Hahn had in mind, setting up the middle of the order or setting up the top of the order if he's batting eighth or ninth. Yeah, and you go back to that walk rate in 2020 for XYZ reason, Adamine wasn't taking his walks. He had a walk rate below 6%. That's not Adamine when you look at his career. So I mm-hmm. think that's going to be one of the numbers I'm going to be paying attention to, Jim, for Adamine is because can he have a walk rate of 8% or better? 8% is not great. Uh, the, the best hitters in the league that take their walks and are patient have a walk rate better than 10%. I'm not expecting that from Adam Eaton, but if he could be 8% or better, even that little bit of a boost uh, in walking potential for the Chicago White Sox will go a long way. Because again, this team, man, I can't imagine this lineup without Yasmani Grandal or Andrew mm-hmm. Vaughn in it. Just wouldn't walk <laughs> at all. Yeah. So, uh, they they have to earn their way uh, to get on base as far as hits, and you know some fans enjoy that aspect. They don't like to to watch hitters take their walks, but in order to be one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball, which the 2021 Chicago White Sox are hoping to be one of the best offenses in the league, they're going to have to walk a lot more than they currently do. Yeah, Fangraphs had Adam Eaton swinging outside the zone 36.5 percent of pitches. Uh, he'd never. Yeah, I'm looking at his rate now. The the top. Uh, uh, his highest out of swing percentage is 31.1. So he's 5% higher than his previous career high in terms of chasing pitches. Uh, the contact elsewhere was more or less normal. He's just really a lot more aggressive on all sorts of pitches, but especially on pitches outside of the zone. So maybe that's something where he sometimes does that early in seasons, like, you know, in, in April and May and takes a while to settle in and eventually find his groove and, and learn his limitations for that given year, given how he's feeling. But, and maybe, you know, having only 60 games and, and you know, having no postseason, I guess, uh, made him pressing to try to straighten his season out uh, as quickly as he could. And that just let him press more. You know, maybe I can bind that a little bit. But just, you know, when, when it comes to solutions like this for Rick Hahn, you always have to, when, when, in situations where you have to squint and say, maybe he won't be that bad or maybe he'll stop doing this thing that, that killed him. It's like, typically, that that doesn't happen. <laughs> Usually the thing, like Edwin Encarnacion last year, we're talking about how he's popping up the ball more and just yeah. you know, becoming more home run reliant and the average is dropping and you know, you're, we're crossing our fingers like, Maybe this will be the case where he can just hold on for one more year and he couldn't. So I think when it comes to these solutions for previous years, I just don't get my hopes up and I, I make them prove it. And and so uh, I want there to be a punishment for being reflexively pessimistic here. If I told you in October of 2020, after the season, that Billy Hamilton will be on the opening day Chicago White Sox roster, what would what would what would be your train of thought just hearing that possibility? Just something like an, an outfield collision happened and knocked out two of them. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a possibility with this. And, yeah. That's kind of happened already, twice already, but <laughs> you know, just something like, you know, just the, I'm thinking like the Maglia or Adonia's type collision or somebody oh, like oh, shredded a kneecap or something like that. Just something terrible where just all of a sudden, they're looking for any bodies they could find. I, I think, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I, I don't mind Hamilton, like in Charlotte, you know, just, I don't like how much playing time he's getting right now. And it makes me a bit nervous. And I think that's also, um, 
reflective of just how little the incumbent Charlotte slash Birmingham outfielders have impressed that, you know, Nick Williams is not enough. Yeah. yeah that Luis Gonzalez, the Blake Rutherford, the Mickardolfo, that trio, right. Mm-hmm. That you're, yes. that you're alluding to. Yeah. It is. It has been a bit disappointed, especially since we were so excited a few years ago about the potential of this group, the Birmingham log jam. Yeah. The Birmingham log jam. This would be their opportunity. And because of the lack of development, the White Sox are more confident signing journeyman Billy Hamilton, who's got one skill, which is speed on the offensive side, uh, may now have to be on the opening day roster to start the season because Adam Engel is hurt. And once Engel is healthy, maybe they'll swap out Hamilton for Adam Engel. Uh, we'll see how that situation goes. But never thought I'd say this, but Adam Engel, the White Sox need you. So heal up as quickly as you can. I One of our show polls, I asked as far as our listeners and followers, over under for Loy Jimenez in 2021. Again, Zips would say the under. Uh, Zips is projecting 34 home runs for Loy Jimenez in 2021. But I think Jimenez will exceed 34. And the number that I thought in my head that would be a good over under is 37 and a half home runs for Aloy Jimenez in 2021. There are many White Sox fans, Jim, that have placed futures bets on Aloy Jimenez to win the Major League Baseball home run crown uh, in 2021. So they would say way over. But how about you? How do you feel if I said over under 37 and a half home runs for Aloy Jimenez in 2021? Are you including uh Terezi 74 projection? <laughs> yeah, that might be influencing some folks. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if that would influence you. No, I, I think it, it doesn't. I, I don't respond to peer pressure well, so I'm going to say <laughs> under. No, I just think with the under, it's not necessarily a knock on him. It's just I can see multiple ways where he doesn't get there. I can't see him you know, hitting 45 in a season. I don't think it's an unreasonable but I think between the ground balls, between the sliders, and between his tendency to miss a couple weeks at a time, just with uh, you know muscle pull or maybe an outfield collision, a wall collision, something along those lines, to where uh, I just feel like you'd be counting on him playing 150 games to beat that number, and uh, that's one of the two ways where I can see him falling short. The the club record for most home runs in a season is still Albert Bell, right? 49 yes. mm-hmm. in, uh, in 1990. Is it six? Uh, seven, seven. Thank you. Yeah. 1997. So 49 home runs on for the hitters that are in this lineup. Do you think Aloy Jimenez has the best shot out of all the hitters in this lineup to break Albert Bell's single season record? No, it was 1998. So 1998. Yeah, it was the second year of he was there. So yeah, 1998. Um, before I just wanted to look that up before people start screaming at it. Uh, I do think that's the case, just because you know when we talk about Jose Abreu, he's a gifted hitter, um, and but I think that means that he's also gifted in like the sense of knowing what he can't pull out of the yard and not trying to do too much with pitches. And I think you know being a 50 home run guy means you try to do as much with a pitch as possible. Uh, and and sometimes to the detriment of other pitches. I think he's more of just a an all fields hitter, and especially as he gets older, he's not going to try to pull the ball in the stands all the time. He can go hot and cold. I think you know um, Luis Robert isn't quite there yet with the strikeouts, um, even though he's probably just as strong as anybody on the team. So when it comes to, like ability to get the barrel of the ball and put the ball put a bunch of pitches over the fence, not just one, not mistakes, but you know reaching out, poking a slider over the right field wall because he's that strong. I think he can get the most homers out of his bat. So, yeah, I think um, he could theoretically get there. I just – I'd want to see um, one year of, like, just having the ground ball slider problem before feeling that. Uh, but if he's surprised, like, I don't think it's a bad bet. Uh, like, if you put a small amount of money on it, getting, you know, like, a money amount of money you didn't care about to where you're not just, like, yeah, if he hits 47 homers and you're just – you want to throw your couch to the window out of anger. Like that's, that's, I think the wrong way to follow his season. 47 homers is great, but yeah. just, uh, but just, you know, in terms of his strength and ability to hit pitches hard, I think, yeah, he is probably the most likely to get there. 
Well, you mentioned him already. So our last outfielder to preview on this episode is Luis Robert. And when it comes to Luis Robert, the question for a lot of White Sox fans is, will the September 2020 slump help Robert in 2021, knowing on how pitchers adjusted to him after a tremendous August where Robert, you could have made the case that he should be MVP of the American league. He was playing so well. Mm -hmm. And then September tremendously cooled off as opposing pitchers and opposing teams started to attack Robert in a different manner. And it was nice to see Robert perform well in the postseason series against Oakland, where he had that mammoth home run uh, in game three. Do you think that the slump in September of last year will help Luis Robert in his preparation and getting a better understanding of how teams will attack him early in 2021. I think so. And I think I have to say that in order to be logically consistent, because when I was uh, stumping for him or for the White Sox to call him up in 2019, you know, August and September, one of the reasons I wanted him to was because I wanted him to fail in the major leagues. Well, I didn't want him to fail, but like I wanted the failure to be there to, to, happen in a in a season where there weren't stakes where there weren't like thing you know expectations results of games pennant chases slash um you know postseason appearances riding on his ability to make quick adjustments against the best stuff he's ever faced given his history his track record of just being very aggressive and and not failing yet with that approach so you know if if i was to say that like a poor performance or an uneven performance in September 2019 would help him in uh, 2020, then I have to say that a poor September 2020, a, a very tough to watch September, uh, will benefit him come April. And for Luis Robert, let's take a look at his 2021 season projections from zips and again in 2020 in 56 games Luis robert had a one and a half war for the white Sox. his weighted runs created plus was 101 so right around league average uh, but when you look at the slash line especially where he ended compared to where he was in august this is where it gets a bit disappointing he hit 233 with a 302 on base percentage and select 436 to end the 2020 season now going to 2021 zips is expecting a little bit of a boost in offensive production in 135 games zips is projecting a 264 batting average for robert with a 312 on base percentage and slugging 482 with a weighted runs created plus of 107 so seven percent better than league average and a 3.3 war i think a lot of that is part of the offensive boost but again he is a gold glover center fielder and it'll be a very interesting race again between he and the Minnesota Twins, Byron Buxton, on who will win that award in center field uh, going into the 2021 season. And, and Jim, when you're looking at the 2021 projections for Luis Robert, again, this is a player that has such a high ceiling. What is something that you're going to be paying attention to early to determine how successful Robert can be this upcoming year? Well, I think when I look at those 2021 projections – that I think I would take just because I think his season is going to be a lot of mini Augusts and mini Septembers. <laughs> I think stretched okay. out over the course of 162 games. Like I think he's going to have, uh, you know, one or two week stretches where he just looks completely lost. And then he eventually figures out, you know, looks at some video, whether taking extra practice, just setting out a game, just somehow, you know, something clicks to where he's able to stay back, uh, recenter the zone and, and, not get himself out and then just his tools take over the exit velocity tips up the just the strength comes back into play the infield singles you know even when he doesn't showcase his strength just his ability to beat out routine looking grounders i think is also something that will buoy his value a little bit i think that'll you know come back and he'll, he'll look like a world beater or look like an all-star and i think that's just going to be the push and pull of the entire season is just managing that aggression uh and and not letting that be used against him and you know, I think just his his track record is so as a fully healthy player, I should say, is so short and so smooth up the ascension. You know, uh, from Winston Salem to Birmingham to Charlotte, that I expected there to be some rough patches. And I think, you know, given the COVID season being a whole different brand of baseball, and 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 twenty twenty one is going to be different for a lot of reasons than the twenty twenty season. I can see just a, further adjustments need to be made. So. While I can see him being like a, you know, perhaps 
you know, maybe not quite, um, you know, Tony LaRusso dropped the Mike Trout comparison just in terms of his tools. I think the plate discipline is going to hold him back. But just somebody who's, you always feel good about being there or maybe just game at a time might look rough, but somebody you think can always just uh, turn a game around. I don't think that guy is quite there yet. I think that might need a year or two before he just sees enough of the league um, and, and learns what he can't do in order to just uh, showcase what he can do more often. And the show poll for Luis Robert over under again, this time again with home runs, uh, just like with Aloy Jimenez, we discussed over under on 37 and a half home runs for Jimenez, a little bit lower at value, but I think that this is a good number to debate whether or not Luis Robert can exceed it or he'll fall short of it. And that's 28 and a half home runs for Luis Robert in the 2021 season, Jim, are you going to go over or under that total? Oh, I'll, I'll break character and go over just because I can see him. I can see that column being good to him, even if some other columns are off, even if he doesn't walk, um, you know, mm-hmm. or even if he goes a long time without a walk, the strikeouts spike on him. I can see him occasionally running into one, even during the cold patches. And then when he gets on a, on, on a, on a roll, just maybe having a week where he hits five outs and, you know, staying healthy, he gets there. I can see maybe some other columns like, you know, having a weird um, extra base hit assortment, um, you know, perhaps, um, you know, kind of like an Edwin Encarnacion type stretch where he hits homers and nothing but. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Encarnacion would have hit 30 homers last year. He also would have, you know, I, I think set a record for lowest average based on qualifying uh, plate appearances. Um, but I, I can see him, doing that even if other areas are lacking. So I think I'm going to say like, I I could, you know, list reasons why he wouldn't, but I think I do that too often. So I'm going to say he hits like in the low (laughs) thirties. Yeah. 30 is the number that popped in my head when it came, when it came to Luis Robert and thinking about as far as his 2021 season, Uh, again, he's got to stay healthy though. Right. In Mm -hmm. order for him to hit 30 home runs, I'm thinking he's going to play, 145 plus games for the White Sox. If Robert could play 155 games for the White Sox in 2021, the White Sox will greatly benefit because again, Robert is such a unique player that impacts the game in so many ways. And before we conclude, as far as the outfield preview, I think we're getting a sense that Aloy Jimenez will bat fifth and there'll be some days that Adamine could bat second or he'll bat eighth in the lineup. But for Luis Robert, where do you think Tony La Russa is going to pencil Robert into his lineup? I would say somewhere in the back half, like sixth or seventh. There's a little bit too much power to bat him ninth. He's not really somebody who, yeah, I, I think La Russa, when, when looking at his National League history and batting the pitcher eighth, I think he believes uh, in the second leadoff hitter a lot. So yeah, the, the power of the ninth spot getting on base for the top of the order versus having the pitcher batting ninth and having nobody on board for your best hitters. So I don't think he'll be ninth. I think, yeah, sixth or seventh, uh, depending on maybe the handedness or, um, you know, the power of the pitcher, especially if somebody like, if there's a slider monster on the mound and uh, Robert just doesn't seem like a good play, he might uh, just bat me. I can see him sneaking to eighth then, you know, in the the pitcher spot where Larusa might bat him and then hope for just occasional power from there. yeah, I think also LaRusca just try to bat him first. I think, you know, looking at his hmm. history of, um, you know, managing, it seems like LaRusca tries a lot of whims, tries a lot of things to um, break guys out of slump or or break guys into the lineup. And, you know, I remember Jim Leland when he was with Detroit doing that too, like taking a rookie um, and batting him first, like getting the leadoff spot and saying like, well, you're a major leaguer bad in major league spot and you know fans would freak out but and maybe it will work out for that given game but it, i think it's just he used lineups as a way to send messages and to try to instill confidence and try to shake things up get things out of uh, get guys out of a certain mindset and i think larusa is going to do the same thing where he's just going to try you know shaking things up see how things look um you know some fans who might think of um you know looking at guys who are on a roll and saying like, why are you batting him second when he's batting fifth? He was batting great fifth. I think they're going to be driven nuts, but you know, for a white Sox lineup that I think was, or a white Sox, uh, um, you know, both lineup and uh, like, uh, I would say lineup card when you include positions that I think was too rigid and too, um, unwilling to experiment both with lineups and you know, with batting orders and defensive alignments, defensive, uh, positioning, um, just, 
uh, you know, whether it's like playing an infielder in the outfield, you know, trying that out just to increase flexibility. Um, I don't mind seeing more experimentation and having guys bat where they shouldn't, as long as, you know, it, it's not a, um, it's not a habit. It's not, uh, you're not hearing a depth handling of the bat from the second spot for somebody with a 310 OBP and, and, and no power. Like that's what I don't want to hear. But if, you know, Nick Madrigal bats first one time, then he bats ninth, then he bats second, then he bats eighth. You know, just if he kind of floats around the lineup just based on LaRusso wanting to get looks, especially early in the season, I don't mind that. Yeah, I think six is a good spot for Luis Robert. If you have Tim Anderson, and let's say Yasmani Grandal is batting second, Jose Bray is batting third, Yoan Makata is batting fourth, Aloy Jimenez is batting fifth. I like Robert at sixth. If you have Vaughn seventh, I think that's a good spot for him. Then you have Adam Eaton batting eighth when he's in the game. And then Nick Magical batting ninth in the sense that you have, uh, if Eaton can walk and Magical, as uh, Lucas Giolito calls him, Merlin, uh, because he's got a magic wand for a baseball bat. If those two could continue to get themselves on base, that really bodes well when you get the lineup turned over and it gives Tim Anderson RBI opportunities. And we talked about him in our previous episode of the podcast that he has the potential at 25 plus home runs. And this is where you could easily see a lineup in 2021 for the Chicago White Sox score 850, maybe 900 plus runs in a 162 game campaign. We haven't seen this type of offense uh, in a while. Uh, maybe it could rival even the 2000 Chicago White Sox, which was the best offensive squad uh, in White Sox history. And that's very exciting. And I think yeah. if Luis Robert can live up a little bit more to his potential, and he's a guy that's batting six and hitting 30 home runs for you, Jim, you get closer to that mark. Yeah, I think they're going to look like that sometimes. I think they're going to have weeks or you know, stretches, series at a time where they look like world beaters and then some pitchers who can keep them quiet just because there are still some flaws in this lineup that can be exploited. Sure. So I think, you know, maybe 800 runs, I think I would set my calibration there. And then, you know, I, I think there's room to beat that um, just if guys click earlier than I think. But uh, just based on the plate discipline issues and and still trying to figure out whether they have enough against good right-handed pitching. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to be, yeah, I've heard that a lot, like watching spring training feeds like this White Sox lineup is loaded. Um, you know, they're, they're so dangerous power from everywhere and just, you know, not seeing it quite in spring training results. And, you know, there, there's a reason, I think there's reasons for that. And it's just, you know, some of it's spring things, but also I think there are some pitchers that can keep them quiet where, you know, say if it's a series where uh, another team lines up its pitchers and then they they walk away saying like, I don't get why everybody's raving about the White Sox. I think there are going to be series like that that maybe drag down the average uh, number of runs scored. But I think there are going to be series where they just beat the hell out of another team and just uh, they'll be glad to see the White Sox leave. Yeah, we got questions uh, from our fans and listeners regarding the Chicago White Sox spring training offensive performance and other questions as well. So let's answer them next in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. But this week's mailbag come from our Patreon supporters. And thank you guys so much for your continued support at Patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And Jim, let's get into the first question uh, in P.O. Sox. And it comes from AJ. And AJ is asking a question that we were just talking about when it comes to the White Sox offense. And his question is, am I wrong to be slightly worried about the hitting during spring training? I would say... I wouldn't be worried about spring training being reflective of the White Sox quality as a whole, just because when we look at the lineup, especially like the performances of performances of Yasmani Grandal and Jose Abreu getting late starts, getting up to speed, like that doesn't seem characteristic of what they're going to do. Like say when the season's starting to warm up, like in May and such, and and uh, the the 162 game groove comes back into play, and I think players get recentered. I do think it's a little bit of uh you know, like, like I was talking about, just you can see maybe how the uh, 
lineup's lack of walks, uh, the the plate discipline issues, like when say Grandal is not in the lineup, or Andrew Vaughn is not in the lineup, where that can just lead to quick innings, unimpressive outs. They're in the bottom third of walk rate. They're also, I will say, they're in the bottom third of strikeout rate, which I think is uh, an improvement, just because they did <laughs> strike out the second most of any American League team last year. So I think that helps a little bit, but. When you have the bottom third walk rate and then you have like Grandal not there and you have Vaughn not there, I think that can just lead to innings where you just, you know, as we're talking about where you hear all the raves about the White Sox offense and they go quietly and you think, well, that's that they were oversold. So I think right. uh, uh, I wouldn't be worried. I, I wouldn't take too much meaning in the spring training results as being reflective of how, you know, they're going to, you know, be averaging three runs a game in April. Like, I don't think it's going to project that smoothly, but I think that's, it's uh, a preview of some weeks where you're going to be frustrated by them and where they may not be able to get separation from the twins or the Indians early on uh, when you think that they could be, uh, um, you know, maybe AL central favorites. Yeah. I know Tim Anderson slash line is not pretty anymore during spring training. Jose Abreu has yet to hit a home run mm-hmm. during spring training. Uh, I, I could understand for white Sox fans looking at those two players in particular, and being concerned. Uh, but again, it is spring training. It you know, good performances, bad performances doesn't mean that they're gonna carry over into the regular season. I will have to say though, if you're striking out a lot during the spring training, you're probably gonna be striking out a lot during the regular season. Uh, and hopefully, fingers crossed, these walk rates also carry with the White Sox uh, into the regular season. And you know, one of those players we just talked about, Luis Robert, having 10 strikeouts to one walk. Uh, that's probably on par mm-hmm. <laughs> what we can expect for Robert during the regular season. But I, I like going back to this. If you want to be optimistic or, or, or you're searching for optimism from the White Sox offense, Yohan uh, Mikata looks good, Jim. And mm-hmm. he has as many walks as strikeouts, and he appears to be healthy back closer to his 2019 form, I, I dare to say. Uh, physically, I should say, is 2019 form because – you know, he's running hard down the first baseline. Maybe he's going at 90 percent, uh, but he wasn't able to do that last year. So, mm-hmm. again, I, as far as watching spring training, I, I watch the games because they are fun and it's good to see baseball. And, yes, I am also looking at a lens of analyzing this team. And here are some things that we should talk about as far as a fan base uh, and what we should be focusing on going into the regular season. But I'm not too concerned with some of the lackluster offensive performances during spring training. And in some ways, I'm there are parts of the offensive performances that I'm more optimistic about what this unit could do once opening day comes. That's more or less where I'm at. It's just it's there's too rich of a history of just dwelling on bad springs, uh, getting hyped about good springs and just not having materialized to where. You know, given that the lineup is set, given that there aren't a whole lot of positional battles up top to where I think you have to trust that they're getting work in. And uh, if it, you know, come late April, come, you know, Mother's Day, we'll say, uh, if you do see some guys lagging behind, if Grandal and Abreu don't heat up, if Tim Anderson's having, a, uh, uh, you know, hitting the low 200s, kind of like he did in his first uh, few full seasons in the majors, then, yeah, then I think, you might look back in the spring training and reverse engineer it and say like, what happened? Like, you know, how can you try to project? But I think that's more or less right now based on just our knowledge of it, when there aren't major strikeout issues uh, underlying the struggles that just more or less uh, coincidental or guys getting work in. And that's just the line that's, you know, while they're getting the reps the line is what it is. Well, AJ, thank you so much for your question. Our next question in the mailbag comes from Andrew Weber. And Andrew's asking, our bullpen is ridiculously talented. Do you see a potential trade later in the season where the Chicago White Sox pick up a win-now player in exchange for some bullpen depth? I don't see that this year just because, you know, one of the I I think one of the themes from spring training so far is that while the bullpen like, you know, uh, the top of the bullpen, Liam Hendricks, Aaron Bummer, Cody Hoyer, you know, that that sector of the bullpen looks great and dangerous and deep and and very flexible. You add in Garrett Crochet and Michael Kopech uh, being, yeah, if they're your sixth inning guys, if they're your seventh inning guys, if they're like if Crochet is your backup uh, 
weapon lefty, uh, then that's, yeah, that's a, that's a deep bullpen. But I think, you know, behind those guys, like uh, we're the Zach birdie tier, Jimmy Cordero, while like a lot of people were done with Jimmy Cordero at the end of the year, I think, you know, Rick Renteria used him. Um, you, he overused him. He played a, a strength into a weakness. Uh, and now Cordero is out with Tommy John surgery. That hurts just in terms of depth, in terms of just having a guy come in and, and get out somewhere. Um, he's helpful. I think like there's a, there's a separation between like you have Jimmy Cordero, you have Jose Ruiz, like guys with good stuff, guys who can occasionally look good, but Jimmy Cordero has gotten outs in the majors. Jose Ruiz has never done that consistently. I think that's, that's where replacement level comes in for a reliever and Cordero is above it. Ruiz is below it just because of that ability to get outs, whether it's missing bats, whether it's getting the weak part of bats, I think that's Cordero strength and, that strength will not be there uh, in any kind of capacity this year because of Tommy John surgery. Zach Birdie showing what he showed last year, some devastating pitches and then some pitches that just spin and get hammered. And then Tyler Johnson still having problems throwing strikes with his new mechanics, like the mechanics that he added in the Arizona Fall League of 2019 um, and, and really threw his walk numbers off. Uh, he was in the alternate training site, but didn't surface as a candidate during the 2020 season. Now 2021 was not impressive so far. He was part of the six walks in a row. He issued three of those six walks. So I'm not really counting on him. I was bullish on him when he looked like a, just a, kind of a sheer force of reliever. But I think, you know, I'm wondering if they, you know, trying to get his, well, I, I should say they were trying to, uh, rework his mechanics in order to prevent injury because he did have the latch strain. So maybe that's a case where he could have been effective, but also hurt with his previous mechanics. And now he's healthier, but less effective. Neither way to get to the same spot where he's really not able to add to a bullpen, but either way, that tier of relievers, I think not being there makes it hard to trade a guy like Aaron bummer, even, even if like an Aaron bummer trade, like, you know, should there somehow be like a, a case where they can deal a Hoyer or a bummer, like that could bring back a lot. We've seen like in previous years, I'm like, I'm thinking like the Andrew Miller or Roldis Chapman, Brad hand trades where you get like a team's top prospect, like a top 50 prospect back. Like theoretically that would be pretty useful for this team, especially given their weaknesses in the outfield and, and some areas of their depth chart. But I think with the bullpen being as important as it is for September and October, like pennant races and beyond, and with Tony Larusa really prioritizing those innings, I think it's going to be hard to deal from that as long as there is no uh, wave of relievers behind Bummer, Hoyer, Crochet, uh, Hendricks, to where you feel good about like you can you can deal one of those guys and not pay for it later. Yeah, I think you got to maintain your depth because you never know, right? June comes along and two of those guys that you mentioned, Jim, are on the injured list. And now all of a sudden you're really leaning into the depth that you have in AAA just to get through uh, as far as that part of the first half of the 2021 season. So I should say Marshall, too. I left his name out, but yeah, he's just he's in the mix as well. Uh, But also he's somebody who misses time. So that's why you have to protect against missing time. Right, exactly. I say you maintain this bullpen depth. Maybe it's something you could address in the offseason. If there's a team that really covets Cody Hoyer and they think that, hey, he could be our closer, you can maybe have that type of conversation in the offseason. But during the season, I say the White Sox hold on to everyone uh, because they do have luxury, and that is a, a very good bullpen to start the season. But our final P.O. Sox question comes from Azenrec Jim. And Azenrec is asking which organizational player making an appearance for the MLB club will have you uh, shaking your fist at Rick Hahn for neglecting organizational depth? I think it would be probably Billy Hamilton. <laughs> I think just because, you know, I could see it being Billy Hamilton or like Luis Gonzalez, you know, the, the Birmingham log jam, just because, he knew that over the course of the previous two years that uh, the Meyer league, the incumbent talent wasn't getting there and they needed more help and they didn't quite do it. I think like Nick Williams, he's fine for a triple a AAA outfielder, like a, a journeyman kind of bouncing around because he has hung in the major leagues for a little bit at a time. He, he does solve the handedness issue a little bit. He's got, you know, he can do a little bit of everything to where if he had to stand in the corner for a couple of weeks, 
you can see it working out, running into some pitches, getting some production, uh, not minding having him around. And then you, just after like two weeks here, waiting for regression just to kind of hammer him into the ground. But I think Billy Hamilton just like, you know, picking him up from another roster and then somehow like showing up in April is just, that'd be, especially like when you have like uh, Garcia, who's fine, when you have Angle, who's fine, just like doing the things he does. And as we saw with Gerard Dyson last year, and although it's a different mm-hmm. manager who might make better use of Hamilton's skill set than, than, than like Rick Renteria did with Dyson, like we just saw how little that does when you need more help. <laughs> just like the bat to do something besides just, you know, when you have speed, but you need that speed to get on base. Like you see just uh, how little that does. So I think that's the one where I'd just be miffed. Like, why is he here? Like, like I'm thinking like Jimmy Lambert, if he had to start, like I like Lambert enough to where I could see him having sneaky success early on. Jonathan Stever, I don't quite get, but at least um, I saw it happen in the minors to where you can see why the White Sox like him, but just, Hamilton, him being there is kind of the desperation that I don't like seeing that <laughs> tends to uh, lead to the White Sox, like throwing uh, players against the wall. And when they throw players against the wall, I think I tend to throw things as well. I did ask this question on Twitter. How many, how many bases do you think Billy Hamilton could steal in AAA? Like 50, 75, a hundred. And there were some folks that pointed out that he stole more than a hundred bases uh, a couple of years down to the minor leagues, but also my followers astutely pointed out, you can't steal first base mm-hmm. in major leagues. And with Hamilton, if he is on the 26 man roster, like if Yasmani Grandal with the extra inning and the runner on second rule in the 10th inning, the white Sox are the home team and Grandal made the last out. So he would technically be the runner on second then yeah, all right, put Billy Hamilton at second base. But those situations are so unique Mm -hmm. and they don't happen so often that it's just like, why are you carrying this guy for this, you know, this situation that you may run into three times a season? Yeah, it's an expanded roster move. It's a September move. It's an October move when you have fewer starters necessary and you can use every roster spot for every advantage possible, like Terrence Gore, like the Terrence Gore way of life. That's what we're talking about. I think, you know, Billy Hamilton, like you, you, I was thinking about a stolen base total at Charlotte. Like I could see him like, you know, stealing 40 or 50 just because he can take advantage of, you know, lesser experienced players, lesser catchers. And because he gets bored, you know, just wanting to do it because just to kind of uh, uh, just play with his skills basically. But when it comes to like his ability, I would also think like maybe he wouldn't run just because he needs to stay healthy. Like just the wear and tear of stealing bases. Like he knows what his ticket is to the big leagues. He knows like if there's an emergency, if they need a defender, if somehow the outfield depth is enough where, where they need a guy who can cover center and steal a base, like he can do that. Like he doesn't need to show, He's shown enough in his major leagues, uh, his resume, his uh, minor league track record to where, like, you know, it can run. Like, he doesn't need to show it can run anymore. So if he wants to uh, ease up on the head first slides and just wait for a break, I can see him doing that, too. That's a good point. But as in rec, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for P.O. Sox. If you have a question or topic that you'd like Jim and I tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. You can also help support us on Patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And on Patreon, we have four different levels now of support, $2, $3, $5, and $10 a month. We have a lot of Patreon supporters that have boosted as far as their monthly support which is terrific thank you guys so much for doing that uh, because at the five war and ten war you get the opportunity to take advantage of our new swag like the socks machine hoodies and the socks machine pennants and this would be a good time jim is there any updates in the socks machine hoodie i'm wearing mine right now and it, again it is so comfy i feel like i'm mr rogers you know with <laughs> yeah. the, like it's it just so comfy so again uh, ron side the logo here uh, uh, very comfy. And uh, is there any update? Because I know we sold out right away. Yeah, I'd wear mine more, except I have a puppy in the house and he's already destroyed a couple shirts with teeth and nails. So I, ah! I want to hold on to it. So I tend to wear the stuff I don't care about as much if I, you know, <laughs> in mine. Yeah, if it has paint stains on it, I tend to use uh, those clothes right now. But uh, yeah, the hoodie order I placed um, last week. So they, the bat should come in 
around uh, the week of opening day, some point during there, and all the the back order slash pre-orders, I'll fulfill those immediately. And then I'll put the rest on for sale. I ordered a few extras at each size. So if you didn't get in the order, I'll reopen the ordering page on the Sox Machine store. I'll, I'll, yeah, maybe I'll wait for a podcast time to make sure everybody hears about it in order to uh, make sure both le- re- listeners, uh, readers, uh, social media followers all hear about it around the same time. And uh, then it's just, uh, uh, May the gods be with you at that point, because uh, <laughs> we only have just just a handful each size uh, after that. Yeah. So again, go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up today. We have four different tiers that you could partake in and also Patreon supporters for socks machine. You guys get exclusive content every single week. I've been doing the major league baseball draft report this upcoming week. I'm going to list who I think are the top five pitchers in this upcoming class and the top five position players after a couple months of college baseball and high school baseball ramping up with their schedule. So you get that type of content exclusively by being a Patreon supporter. And you also get an ad free version of the socks machine podcast by being a Patreon supporter. So again, that's patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up today. That will do it for this socks machine podcast episode. A reminder, you could follow us on Twitter. We are at socks machine, something new. You can subscribe to our socks machine, YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. And if you just discovered the podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast via Spotify, Apple podcasts, radio.com, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.